0: Our Lord Jesus Christ according to st. Matthew Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said I thank you father Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants yes father for such was your gracious will all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father Is light. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Born near the end of the 12th century, Francis may well be the most widely admired saint in history. The agnostic French scholar Ernest Renan put it simply, after Jesus, Francis of Assisi is the closest we have ever come to a perfect Christian." End quote. And so it is not surprising that churches around the world remember Francis this time of year, near the anniversary of his death, with a special celebration that pays homage to his life, teachings, and near mystical love for all of creation. Indeed, when I was a school chaplain, The Feast of St. Francis was the worshiping highlight of the year for the school children because it always included the blessing of the animals, which gave the kids a chance to bring their favorite pet to school to wreak joyful havoc. I somehow managed to come away from all of those services with all my fingers and toes, but there were lots of dogs and cats and rabbits and snakes and other critters. And of course many churches around the world do this too, and maybe Holy Trinity has in the past, I don't know, Uh, remembering St. Francis with a blessing of the animals' liturgy. And this is a lovely tradition. And I do miss it from my days in school. But at the risk of sounding a little curmudgeonly, I do worry that by focusing so much this day on the blessing of pets that we unwittingly sentimentalize Francis and domesticate the profound power of his example. Yes, Francis loved animals. But his theology of creation was, in fact, far more revolutionary and far-reaching than merely blessing puppies and kittens. In his life and writings, Francis turned the conventional story of creation, whereby humanity is given dominion over the created order, on its head. For Francis, humanity is a humble servant to nature, appointed by God to be its caretaker rather than its consumer. As he wrote in his great anthem of praise, Canticle to Brother Son, God calls us to see the wind and the sun and the water as subjects, not as objects, as companions who are themselves manifestations of God's glory. Francis experienced all of creation sacramentally. Nature is not for our use. It is rather the sacred womb from which we are born, and we are to honor it in the same way we honor our mothers and our fathers. All of which is to say that while Francis would no doubt welcome animals in church, I'm sure his far greater concern today would be the horrible mess we've made of our planet in the intervening eight centuries. I will not turn this into a sermon about climate change or our looming environmental catastrophe. Others are more qualified and able to speak to such things than I am. But I will say this. If we are serious about honoring the Franciscan theology of creation, we should consider doing a bit more than setting aside one day a year to honor his memory and bless our pets. And if you want to explore what such more might be, I would encourage you to visit lutheransrestoringcreation.org. That's lutheransrestoringcreation.org, all one word, which is an organization of Lutherans who have dedicated themselves to caring for creation and to living responsibly in this world. They have some creative ideas, and their website is, I commend to you. Having said this, though, there is a great deal more to St. Francis than just his passion for nature. Our first lesson from Jeremiah, if you were listening, for example, gives voice to a second aspect of the Franciscan spirit, and that is is his care for the poor and his commitment to economic justice. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, Jeremiah bellows, who makes his neighbors work for nothing and who cares not for the cause of the poor and the needy, end quote. Francis' relationship to poverty is an interesting story, and it grew out of his own family history. He was brought up in Assisi, a hill town of central Italy, which typified the new wealth of 12th century Europe, and his father was a very successful cloth merchant. And Francis spent his youth reaping the rewards of his father's riches, indulging himself in drunken revelry. He was a bit of a prodigal child, Yet in his 20s, he had a spiritual crisis that led him to renounce such hedonism as ultimately empty, to donate his inheritance to the church and to embrace instead a life of utter simplicity. Francis embraced poverty in part as a spiritual discipline to draw himself closer to God, but in part also to expose the idolatry of the world that holds up the accumulation of wealth as the measure of a person's worth. Francis' example invites us to reorient our relationship with money and things, just as he seeks to change our perspective on the natural world. Once, according to a story, when Francis and some of his brothers were living in the hills outside of Assisi, they were terrorized by a band of robbers. When accosted by the robbers, the friars would consistently give the robbers all they had. Their hope was that by responding to villainy with charity, they might eventually reform the robbers. However, the robbers seemed to show no interest in such change, and so the friars became discouraged. Francis had a different reaction and strategy. He urged the friars to double down, to affirmatively seek out the robbers in the hills, to take them bread and wine, to lay out for them plates and glasses on a blanket, and feed them eggs and cheese. And after winning their attention with such undeserved hospitality, Francis turned to the robbers and asked them why they chose to lead such boring, dangerous, and unpleasant lives when they could earn a good and honest living working the land. Before long, so the story goes, the robbers were bringing firewood down to the friary, helping the friars with chores, and eventually three of the 'er ne'er-do-wells ultimately joined Francis' growing religious order. Such was his charisma. Now, I don't think Francis consciously set out to revolutionize our attitudes toward wealth on the one hand or toward creation on the other. Rather, at a much deeper level, I think Francis' one and only focus was to live a life in imitation of Christ, from which everything else flowed. Not given to academic theology or to preaching doctrine, Francis taught purely by example. As he once famously put it, preach the gospel always, use words if you must. The story that illustrates perhaps most poignantly this point arises out of Francis' relationship with the lepers who were condemned to live in the Lazar houses outside the walls of Assisi. Throughout his 20s and 30s, Francis was incapable of mastering his horror of these crippled and foul-smelling figures who haunted the roads until nightfall, begging for food and for alms. Finally, one day while riding a horse, Francis spotted a leper along the roadside. Despite his instinctive revulsion, Francis dismounted, gave the man a coin, and kissed his hand. The leper reciprocated with an embrace. While it was a breakthrough, Francis knew that to completely overcome his phobia, he would have to do more, and so he made it his habit to visit the lepers in their makeshift hospital beds each week, distributing alms, hearing their stories, and always greeting them with a kiss. On his deathbed, Francis pointed to these experiences with the wounded and the diseased as the closest he ever felt to Christ. It takes the eyes of Christ to see the humanity in a person behind the disfiguring disease of leprosy, and it takes the heart of Christ to embrace such a person. Sadly, the world in which we live right now seems as antithetical to the Franciscan way as one can imagine. We treat the planet not with reverence, but with utilitarian disdain. We treat the poor not with compassion and support, but as somehow deserving of their place at the bottom of the free-market economy we have come to idolize so much. And we treat each other, not kindly as brothers and sisters in Christ, but suspiciously as competitors in a zero-sum game of consumptive survival. It is so disheartening to see just how cynical, mean-spirited, and lacking in humility, our civic discourse has become. How utterly incapable we now seem to be to listen to one another with open hearts and open minds to acknowledge each other's wounds and to speak truthfully and humbly about both our successes and our failures and faults and complicity in the injustices of this world. Now, you may think that St. Francis, this otherworldly figure, is not relevant to this ongoing cultural and political tragedy, but I'd ask you to think again. For Francis teaches us that whatever the reigning secular rulers may do or not do, and however toxic our surrounding culture may be, our primary responsibility as Christians is nothing more and nothing less than to bear witness to Christ's life in everything we do. As church, we are an alternative political reality to the rest of the world a reality grounded not in ourselves, but in the eternal truth of the kingdom of God Christ has inaugurated, but that remains yet to be fully realized. We are called not to use power and privilege to get our way, but instead to put our trust paradoxically in the weakness of the cross, in the possibilities of compassion to heal the wounded, and in the promise of love to turn even the most hardened and cynical of hearts. This is the Franciscan way. This is the way of Jesus Christ. It is a way that has redeemed this broken world before, and it is a way that will redeem it.